Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes graphic descriptions of dead bodies and torture, as well as dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In the countryside of 19th century Ireland, fairies were considered a very real threat. They were mischievous, resentful creatures, and they delighted in causing havoc for human beings. Their supernatural trickery could only be fought with the most extreme measures. If a loved one was replaced by a changeling, those who believed in fairies thought any manner of violence could be justified to banish the fairy responsible. People in the area often told stories about changelings who had been burned, drowned, or otherwise killed. And usually, the changeling was a child. Child murder, even under the guise of a supernatural threat, was received with a mixture of revulsion and horror. It wasn't hard to find out who was responsible— It was almost always the parents who carried out this dark deed, burning their children, drowning them, burying their small bodies in the fields. But despite the nature of their crimes, these individuals were usually treated gently by the law. They must have been insane, overcome with superstitious paranoia, to do what they did to their own kin. It was against this backdrop of quiet violence that Bridget Cleary's story took place. But her case was something very different than the rest. She was an adult, and the violence enacted against her would open the floodgates on a much larger conversation. Bridget Cleary's case would become the stage upon which Irish folk traditions would be debated, their power, their purpose, and their danger. But on March 16, 1895, the horror was only just beginning. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives closed the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our final episode on the murder of Bridget Cleary. Last week, we covered the events leading up to her death. This week, we'll cover the trial that brought this case to international infamy. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. 
Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Tipperary wasn't a very large region of Ireland, and news traveled fast. Within hours of Michael Cleary's visit to Drangan Church on March 16, 1895, rumors about Bridget Cleary's mysterious disappearance spread like wildfire. I knew it. I knew Bridget Cleary had connections to the fairy folk. And now look what happened to her. She's been taken right out of her own home. It's just so sad to see this happen to our poor husband, Michael. The man's a wreck. All he talks about is how he wants to get his wife back. Says she's in Kailanagrana, hiding out with the fairies. Well, between you and me, I don't understand his urge to get her back. That woman has been nothing but disruptive. Agreed. I've heard that Michael Cleary still plans to go out to Kailanagrana tonight to try and find her. Bless him. <laughs> a waste of time, if you ask me. His wretched wife is gone, and I doubt she'll ever come back. But local townsfolk weren't the only ones struck by the bizarre disappearance of Bridget Cleary. As the mid-afternoon sun cast a misty glow throughout Drangan Church, Father Con Ryan sat reeling from the information he had learned earlier that day. If Jack Dunn was correct, then Michael Cleary had killed his own wife, burning her up under the fear that she was a changeling. Con Ryan could still imagine Michael Cleary's tear-soaked face, his clothes dusted with ash. The priest shuddered at the memory. Jack Dunn had described the apparent burning of Bridget Cleary as if it were the most normal thing in the world, an unfortunate happenstance, nothing particularly shocking. But the priest knew that something had to be done at once. That same afternoon, Con Ryan made the walk to the barracks of the Drangan Royal Irish Constabulary. In 19th century Ireland, the RIC served as the eyes and ears of the British government, a kind of militarized police that surveilled the Irish countryside for suspected dissenters. In 1895, Ireland was still part of Great Britain, and the RIC was often seen as a threat to more nationalistic Irish people. But this outfit also served as a type of local police, able to make arrests and investigate crimes. For Father Con Ryan, the RIC was the only viable source of justice. And with the bizarre case of Bridget Cleary, justice was desperately needed. Con Ryan met with Acting Sergeant Patrick Egan. The priest explained the events of that morning, emphasizing that he suspected foul play in Bridget Cleary's disappearance. Jack Dunn's outrageous claim was the only shred of evidence that Con Ryan could offer the policeman, but it was a worthy place to start. 
Sergeant Egan decided to monitor Michael Cleary's movements while the RIC began a search for the missing woman. Patrick Egan didn't waste any time in his surveillance. It wasn't hard for the sergeant and another policeman to catch up with Michael Cleary as he made his slow way back home. The two men neared the cottage, and the sergeant finally spoke up. Mr. Cleary, you're certainly the man to meet today. Everyone has been talking about you. Sorry? I'm just trying to go home. Yes, yes, of course. Say, there's been a lot of really wild rumors going on about your wife, Bridget Cleary. Could you tell me what happened to her last night? Oh, yes. She left late last night, around midnight. I didn't see her go. I was already in bed. She's... she's been sick. Huh. She just up and left. And you have no idea where she went. She'll come back. I know she will. Sergeant Egan let the man go. Michael Cleary spoke as if he were talking to himself, and he was so lost in his thoughts that he hardly looked at the policeman at all. Egan could tell that there was something suspicious going on, and if the rumors were true, then Michael Cleary was a murderer. That night, the RIC began their search for Bridget Cleary. If she had been burned... Her body could be buried anywhere in the countryside that surrounded Tipperary. Men scoured the woods and open prairies, looking for a shred of evidence that could point to her whereabouts. But on March 17th, under the cover of darkness, a different kind of search began. Michael Cleary and a small group of his friends made the trek from Drangan to Kailanagrana. They walked delicately through the dark, finally stopping short of a circular-shaped ridge jutting out of the grass, the Ring Fort. In Irish folktales, a woman taken by the fairies could eventually return to the human world, but it was tricky. As the story goes, she would reappear on a white horse, galloping out of the Ring Fort where she had been hiding. But in order to tether her to the human world, her loved ones would have to catch her. Michael Cleary stood as still as a statue, his eyes fixed on the dark form of the ring fort. For him, this was his one chance to bring his wife back to life. But as the night grew darker, Bridget was nowhere to be seen. Uh, Michael, we've been out here for hours. I don't think Bridgie is coming back tonight. I'm not leaving. My Bridget will return to me... Mark my words. I really don't think I don't care what you think. I will stay glued to this spot. And if she doesn't return tonight, then we'll come back tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that. Michael. We must allow her to cross over. You'll see. She'll come out of there glowing, just as beautiful as ever. She will. The small crowd of relatives listened to Michael Cleary's ravings with a mix of shame and remorse. They glanced at each other, knowing full well that there would be no glorious return of Bridget Cleary. But her husband, blind to their doubts, was undeterred. Crossing his arms, he stretched his legs and dug his boots into the damp soil. He shifted his body so that it was fully directed toward the entrance to the ring fort. The fort was silent, 
a dark shape against the night. But as he stared at the uninhabited ruin, Michael Cleary was optimistic, prepped for a long night of waiting. Coming up, the police find Bridget Cleary's body. Stay with us. The worst serial killer. The creepiest cult. The most outrageous con. If you're a true crime fan, you've probably pondered these things. Well, now you can get answers, or at least some passionate opinions. Every week on our podcast, Crime Countdown, my co-host Ash and I rank 10 unsettling crimes centered around a common theme, debating each case with just a hint of humor to lighten the mood. Elena and I may not be experts, and we may not always agree, but we're counting down anyway. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Countdown. Listen free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now back to the story. Bridget Cleary never appeared in the Kailanagranau ring fort on the night of March 17, 1895. But that didn't stop her husband from returning the following night. As far as Michael Cleary was concerned, he had to keep vigil in Kailanagrana every night until Bridget reappeared. But his relatives were less convinced. As the small crowd of people followed Michael Cleary to the ring fort, their resolve began to waver. After a couple nights, Michael was the only one sitting there in the dark. At first, this behavior seemed pitiful. The desperate hope of a man who may never see his wife again. But as the days passed, with no sight of Bridget, these late-night trips started taking on a different tone. Rumors began to spread across Tipperary. Townsfolk learned about the treatment that Michael Cleary and his family members had given to Bridget the night before she disappeared. The force-feeding, the branding, none of this sounded like the behavior of an innocent man. But most of the people of Tipperary chose to ignore the implications of these rumors. In rural Ireland, equilibrium was desired over almost anything else, and the mystery of Bridget Cleary was a huge threat to that sense of calm. Most people simply avoided Michael Cleary and his family. No one was going to confront Michael or his relatives about what happened. And maybe, over time, the problem would simply go away. But not everyone felt that way. On March 18th, three days after Bridget Cleary disappeared, someone chose to speak to the authorities. William Simpson had lived near the Cleary's cottage for several years and had enjoyed a close friendship with both Michael and Bridget. But that friendship had soured after the events of March 14th. William had been present when Bridget Cleary endured her so-called treatment, and he was convinced that something terrible must have happened to her when she disappeared on the night of March 15th. I can tell you this, sir. The things I saw that night were not normal. They were violent, horrific, and fueled by a kind of crazed desire for retribution that I've never seen before. I have no doubt that these people could have done away with Bridget, 
Well, my boy, these are serious allegations you're making. And I stand by them. Just the other day, Michael Cleary asked me for my gun. He said that the family wouldn't come with him to Kailanagrana, and he wanted to make them. Does this sound like a man of sound mind? Hmm, perhaps not. All right, could you tell me exactly who you saw that night, and who you believe could be responsible? Absolutely. William Simpson listed the people who had been present on the night of March 14th. He believed any and all of these people could have been responsible for Bridget Cleary's disappearance. By making this statement, William was risking social isolation. Most people in Tipperary didn't trust the RIC, and William's cooperation with the organization was bound to make him unpopular. But to him, justice for Bridget was worth the risk of social suicide. As the days passed, fewer and fewer people believed that Bridget was still alive. The police continued their search for Bridget Cleary, combing the Irish countryside over and over again. As they searched, local newspapers began picking up the story. But it didn't stay local for long. Across Ireland, people began reading about the missing woman in Tipperary and how her family was claiming the fairy defense to explain her disappearance. And the readers couldn't get enough of it. Come read about the missing woman taken by the fairies in the night. Her husband searches for her, but the Fae have kept her as their own. Friends of Bridget Cleary claim that she was taken away on a white horse before their very eyes. Bridget's husband refused to give his sick wife medicine. Could he be to blame for her disappearance? Find out for yourselves! Articles about Bridget Cleary's disappearance never focused on accuracy. The draw of this case was its surprising connection to Irish folklore. Even in areas where folk belief was common, it was still shocking to hear about a grown woman taken by the fairies. The police ignored any speculation or intrigue caused by the press. The RIC didn't uphold superstitious beliefs, and the investigation didn't consider the possibility that Bridget Cleary had been taken by an unseen creature. But like the press, the RIC were becoming more and more suspicious of Michael Cleary and his family. The events of March 14th were unsettling, to say the least. With a witness statement pointing toward this specific group of people, the RIC felt more confident in their suspicions than ever. On March 21st, the RIC arrested Bridget's family and friends. They had not found a body, so the police couldn't charge the group with murder. Instead, the RIC charged most of them with ill treatment, a vague way of describing the torture Bridget Cleary experienced before she disappeared. The group of people charged with ill-treatment of Bridget Cleary was an alarming collection of her closest family members and friends. Her own father, Patrick Bolin, was gently escorted to jail, along with the fairy doctor, Dennis Ganey, and several of Bridget's cousins. There isn't much written about the arrests themselves, but it's easy to imagine that Michael Cleary received the RIC's arrests with confusion and shock. Throughout the days following his wife's disappearance, he still believed that Bridget would reappear at Kailanagrana. And with Michael's arrest, there would be no one to sit out by the ring fort and await her arrival. 
Nine suspects had been arrested, but the work wasn't done. On March 22nd, William Simpson offered his help to RIC men who wanted to investigate an area of swampy land near the Cleary's cottage. The damp air made the ground squishy and sponge-like, and the group of men struggled over the terrain. The morning was misty, making their work all the more unsettling. After a short while wandering through the marshland, the men found themselves in a large field, only about a quarter mile away from the Cleary's house. But then, one of the RIC men noticed something odd. He saw a small area of freshly disturbed soil in a corner of the field. Someone had hastily covered it with fallen branches and leaves, but the vivid brown color of the dirt betrayed its existence. Boys, come quick. I think we just found a grave. I I suppose it could be the grave of an animal. Then why would it be covered up like this? Quick, hand me a shovel. Constable Summers, O'Callaghan, come help me dig. In silence, the three men dug their shovels into the damp earth as William Simpson looked on. It didn't take long for them to unearth a gruesome discovery. Only 18 inches underground lay the charred body of a woman. She was lying in a fetal position, her head covered in a sack. She only wore a pair of black stockings. Her body was burned badly, Much of her skin was consumed by the oil of the fire, revealing bone and organ matter that oozed out of what was left of Bridget Cleary. But strangely, her face was untouched. The men delicately removed the sack from the body's head. Her open eyes looked past the men, fixed on some invisible horror in the distance. The skin around her mouth was already showing signs of decay pulling away from her bone and fixing her mouth in a permanent grimace. William Simpson looked into the pit and instantly recoiled. It only took a second to recognize her. He would never be able to shake the image of Bridget Cleary's dead eyes, her lips peeled back to expose her teeth. Coming up, the Cleary family goes to trial and the Irish people grapple with the implications of this crime. Stay with us. And now, back to our story. On March 22, 1895, Bridget Cleary's body had been found, dumped in a crude grave in the corner of a field. An autopsy was scheduled for the next day. Reporters from Tipperary and the surrounding counties had no time to lose. They packed up their belongings and headed straight for Drangan. After the body was discovered, it had been placed in a shed. RIC guards stood idly by the front of the door, shooing away any local children who tried to peek into the windows. Reporters gathered outside, awaiting the coroner's arrival. Shortly after sunrise, a small buggy wove its way through the rolling fields and stopped in front of the house. As the group of reporters gathered around the vehicle, an older man named John Shee stepped down from the carriage. John had served as a coroner for years, but he could already tell that this case was going to be very different from the rest. Coroner, what do you expect to see inside that shed? Well, my boy... I shudder to imagine it. 
If what I have heard about this case is true, then this crime must be one of the most fearful things which has happened in our country for years. What makes you say that? The things you lads have been writing! Fairies, a household of relatives sitting idly by as this poor woman is terribly mistreated! I can only imagine the state of her. But let's be done speculating. It's time to see for ourselves. Silently, he gestured for the reporters to follow him. The men looked at each other with surprise, but did as they were told. And soon, the entire group was huddled around the gruesome remains of Bridget Cleary. It didn't take long for the coroner to determine that the young woman had been burned to death. The entire right half of her body was so badly scorched that her skin was charred and peeling, revealing the inner organs and bone. Bridget's right hand was badly charred, her fingers frozen like a black claw. The horrific nature of her wounds was contrasted with the condition of her head. Her face had been untouched. But Coroner She found other troubling details by examining her mouth. She had abrasions on the inside of her cheek, and her tongue was lacerated. As the coroner moved Bridget's head to examine her neck, he caught sight of something glinting through her hair. He brushed the hair aside and saw a single gold earring still dangling from her ear. The gruesome details of the autopsy quickly made their way into print, and the story of Bridget Cleary's murder spread like wildfire across the country. The story was so shocking, even the New York Times couldn't resist reporting on the barbarous episode in Tipperary. The horrific condition of Bridget's corpse wasn't the only shocking element of the story. As the details of the case dispersed across the country, all eyes were on the suspects. On March 25th, the hearing finally began. This would be the first time that the Irish public could catch a glimpse of the Clearies. By now, the family was a household name. As the large group of defendants was escorted out of prison, they were met with an angry mob. As far as the public was concerned, every one of these prisoners was guilty. You lot should be hanged for what you did! Murderers! How can you live with yourselves? You're all killers as far as I'm concerned. Michael killed his own wife, and the rest of you are just as bad. You sat around and watched as Bridget burned. You make me sick. This reaction was common among the people who were following the case. It was a revolting concept that a group of Bridget Cleary's own friends and family allowed her to die. But for some people, this one case was evidence of a much larger issue. In 1895, there was much contention about how much power the Irish people should have over their nation. While nationalists wanted full independence, the Crown saw the Irish populace as a backward, savage people who couldn't possibly govern themselves. And for the English, the murder of Bridget Cleary served as proof of that belief. Political opinion drove the reporting around this case, painting the hearing in very different hues depending on the political leanings of the newspaper. Yet regardless of politics, the public was universally horrified by the nature of Bridget Cleary's death, and as the hearing continued, the public only became more disgusted. The evidence against Michael Cleary and his family was staggering. 
During this initial inquest, magistrates brought forth Michael Cleary's ash-covered suit. The police had also found a spade and shovel on his property. Many of the prisoners were brought up to give statements, but few were as scandalizing as the testimony of Johanna Burke, one of Bridget's cousins. She had been present for Bridget's treatment, along with the terrible events of the following night. And unlike her relatives, she was willing to set the record straight. Miss Burke, I'd like to ask you about the night of March 15th and the oil can that was taken from Mr. Cleary's house. Now, were you in the house that night? I was, sir. Did you see what happened to Bridget Cleary that night? Yes, I did. And I don't think I'll ever forget it. Mr. Cleary took that oil lamp and poured it all over Bridget. He set her on fire. And she was dead within minutes. After hearing this description, Michael Cleary leapt to his feet, screaming that he couldn't hear this, that none of it was true. But he was quickly silenced, and it was too late. The damage had been done. Originally, the defendants had been charged with ill treatment of Bridget Cleary. But as the evidence mounted and the public outrage grew stronger, that original charge was changed. Now, Bridget's family and friends were being charged with murder. On April 1st, almost all of them were officially brought to trial. The only exception was Dennis Ganey, the ferry doctor who provided so-called medicine to Michael Cleary. There wasn't enough evidence to connect him to the murder, and he was later released. But he was the one exception. Many of Bridget Cleary's family members were suspects, and all faced murder charges. The prosecution was confident that all the defendants would be indicted. And that was largely due to the cooperation of William Simpson and Johanna Burke. Both were willing to help the police avenge Bridget's death, and together, their testimony offered a damning portrait of the Cleary family. If Bridget Cleary's torture on March 14th had offered her husband any sense of relief, that feeling was short-lived. On the morning of March 15th, Michael Cleary still seemed suspicious and paranoid about the condition of his wife. According to Johanna Burke, Bridget Cleary was showing signs of improvement despite the chaos from the night before. Burke described her as attentive and well-spoken, even getting dressed and moving around the house. But Michael Cleary was not so easily convinced. Michael analyzed every one of his wife's actions, fearing that there was still some suggestion that she was, in fact, a changeling. By the evening, most of the people who had been present the night before had returned to check on Bridget's condition, and all were happy to see that she felt better. Michael Cleary was the only one who still suspected that something was amiss. He consistently made Bridget Cleary prove her identity by drinking a flask of holy water. Bridget Cleary was becoming visibly frustrated, and Johanna testified that she heard the couple fighting. Shortly before midnight, Bridget and Michael seemed happy, sitting together at the table. But then Michael demanded another test. He told his wife to eat three pieces of bread before drinking any tea. Bridget complied, eating two of the pieces, but not the third. She claimed she wasn't hungry. For Michael, this was the final straw. 
Michael Cleary grabbed Bridget, threw her to the floor, slammed his knee onto her chest, and grabbed her by the throat. He cupped his hand over her mouth and ordered her to eat the bread. Johanna Burke spoke out in protest, asking Michael to leave Bridget alone. But at this point, Michael refused to listen. He tore off most of Bridget's clothes and left her on the ground in nothing but a slip. The two were near the fireplace, and Michael grabbed a smoldering piece of firewood. He held the wood close to his wife and threatened to shove the red-hot piece of wood down her throat. Johanna heard Bridget yell, Give me a chance! But Michael Cleary was beyond reason. He slammed her head against the hard ground, still holding the hot stick in his other hand. The description of the initial burning remains unclear. Many of the witnesses claim to have been asleep or otherwise blind to what happened, but Johanna Burke's testimony suggests that Michael Cleary accidentally set Bridget's clothes on fire while he was gesticulating wildly with the red-hot piece of firewood. Bridget's clothes burst into flames, igniting her skin and burning her alive. Michael Cleary stood above his wife's body in horror, watching the flames devour her, but then... Noticing that the fire had died down, he picked up an oil can. In one swift motion, he doused Bridget with the oil and reignited the flames. Many in the house witnessed this final act, and while a few called out to Michael Cleary, not one tried to physically stop him from murdering his wife. They all stood motionless as Bridget Cleary burned. When the fire went out, Michael grabbed a knife and threatened Patrick Kennedy into carrying Bridget's body into the field. According to Patrick Kennedy, Michael even said he had already picked out a place for his wife. Cleary led Patrick to a shallow grave, then tossed Bridget's body inside. Patrick watched as Michael stood on his wife's corpse and pushed her down deeper into the dirt. At the end of the trial... Only five people would be indicted. Michael Cleary was found guilty of manslaughter, while Jack Dunn and Patrick, James, and William Kennedy were found guilty of wounding. None of these men remained in prison for long. Michael Cleary was released on good behavior in 1910 after serving only 15 years in prison. He lived the rest of his life outside of the public eye. Bridget Cleary's body was eventually buried by RIC men. There was no funeral. No civilians were present to mourn her early death. It was almost as if she had never existed. And now, Bridget Cleary is largely remembered more as a myth than as a real person. Often, she's misremembered as a witch, with some people referring to Bridget as the last witch to burn in Ireland. But perhaps the most memorable aspect of her tale is a children's rhyme that has become popular in Tipperary. When walking through the streets, one might hear the children singing, Are you a witch or are you a fairy? Or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? Thanks again for tuning into Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. For more information on Bridget Cleary, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Burning of Bridget Cleary by Angela Burke, 
extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solved Murders was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Ellie Schiff, Julian Smith, Dan Velasquez, and Jen Wong. Solve Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>